This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. All right, well, good morning, everyone. Here we are. So if you turn in your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 8, verse 18, Matthew 8, 18. So these are verses we're going to be covering this morning, verses 18 through 22, this passage here, two people involved with the Lord. So first, um, first let's pray. Father, do open our eyes now as we, again, Lord, come to uh, your word with a great sense that we realize this is not our word, this is not the word of man, this is the word of God. And so we need you, Lord, to open your word to us and teach it to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Matthew 8, 18, here we go. Now, when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart unto the other side. And a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, Follow me, and let the dead bury their dead. Okay, now here we've seen how the Lord has taught these great truths in the Sermon on the Mount, and then we saw how a hopeless leper, and that's what he was, he came to the Lord Jesus, and he tapped into something. He tapped into something that resulted in him being healed of his leprosy. There was one passage in Scripture that that leper knew better than any other passage, and he thought of it all the time, and this was the history of the, the leprosy and healing of, who do you think? Moses. Moses, of all people, because this is the first instance of healing of leprosy in the Bible. It's Exodus 3.2, where it says there, this history of Moses at the burning bush. It says, he looked, this is Moses looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Then, in Exodus 4, 6, in the next chapter, Exodus 4, verse 6, it says, and the Lord said, 
The Lord said furthermore unto him, put now thine hand into thy bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was as leprous as snow. And he said, put thine hand back into thy bosom again. And he put his hand into a bosom, and again, and plucked it out of his bosom, and behold, it was turned again as uh, his other flesh. This was the first case in the Bible where leprosy was healed. And that leper knew this passage backwards and forth. This was his favorite passage. And he was thinking, the leper was thinking, if I could just meet the one who was in the burning bush with Moses there, then he could heal me of the leprosy that I have like, like Moses was healed of his leprosy. So that leper, what he did was he saw beyond just the man, Jesus, that leper saw that Jesus was the one who healed Moses of his leprosy. And he knew that this same Jesus had the power to take, to take him as a leper and heal him instantly, just as he did Moses. So the leper was thinking like this. He was thinking, but how am I going to get Jesus, the Jesus of the burning bush, the Jehovah Jesus in the burning bush, to heal me of my leprosy? And that's when the leper remembered what Moses said about God in the burning bush that healed him of his leprosy, when Moses described God in the burning bush in Deuteronomy 33, 16, Deuteronomy 33, 16, where Moses says, he's talking about God, he says, and for the precious things of the earth and fullness thereof and for the good will of him that dwelt in the bush, let the blessing come upon the head of Joseph and upon the top of the head of him that was separated from his brethren. So the leper keys into these words, the goodwill of him that dwelt in the bush. And the leper thinks, I've got it. The leper healing God in the burning bush has a good will. He has a good will. And all I have to do is to center my cry on his good will, and I'll be instantly healed of my leprosy, just like Moses was instantly healed of his leprosy. See, it was that good will that the leper tapped into that he knew that God had the good will. So that's why he said in Matthew 8, 2, in verse 2 here, behold, there came a leper, worship him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, again, the good will of him that dwelt in the bush, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And because the leper put two and two together, he was healed. The leper put together what God had done at the burning bush of healing uh, Moses of his leprosy and his need, and he acted on this conclusion, and therefore he walked away healed. And then we saw how a Roman centurion, he tapped into the healing power of God when he as a Gentile realized that Jesus was God, that Jesus was God. See, because that Gentile Roman centurion put two and two together, his servant was healed. That Gentile Roman centurion put together that God has a host of angels that do his will, and his need, he put that together with his need for his servant to be healed. He acted on that conclusion, and his servant was healed. And then we saw how Peter and his family, they saw how the Lord healed the leper, how the Lord had healed the centurion's servant, and they put those two and two together, and they saw how the Lord could heal the Peter's mother-in-law, they put that together with how they saw how the Lord could heal his mother-in-law, and they acted on that conclusion by asking the Lord to heal Peter's mother-in-law, and she was healed. 
And then we saw how a great crowd put two and two together and acted on their conclusion as they gathered outside of Peter's house, bringing the sick of the city there, and the Lord healed every one of them. And this has all created a great stir. It's a great stir now in the city, and now we see what happened in verse 18. Verse 18, our first verse to look at here. When Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart unto the other side. When Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he commanded, he commanded to depart? That's the question. He commanded to depart, it's so strange, because there were these times we've seen in the Lord's life when he saw great multitudes, and that sight drew out of him a compassion. In Matthew 9.36, Matthew 9.36 it says, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered about as, as sheep having no shepherd. In Matthew 14, 14, 14, 14, it says, when Jesus went forth, he saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them and he healed their sick. So in these cases, what we see here is the Lord is, he sees a multitude, he's moved with compassion, he moves toward the multitude, not away from them. But in this case, there was a multitude, and instead of moving toward the multitude, he leaves the multitude. Why? Question is why? What's the difference? Something was happening at this time that made the Lord move away from the multitude. And what was happening can be seen in the next person who comes on the scene in verse 19. In verse 19, in verse 19 through 20, it says, a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee, whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus saith unto him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. So the scene now with this great multitude is one of, of great excitement where there's these outbursts that come from great excitement. It was really a kind of a scene of, of, of frenzy of excitement, and this can be seen in the response of this certain scribe in verse 19 who makes this instantaneous proclamation that no one else has said this before, but he comes already, and he's the one who says, I'll go with you wherever you're gonna go. And the Lord knows the hearts of men, and he sees in this scribe, he sees in this scribe a very shallow decider. He sees in this scribe the seed that he talked about in Matthew 13, 5, Matthew 13, 5, where he said, some seed, some, he said some, but he was meaning seed, some seed fell upon the stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. See? Then he explained what this all meant about the description of the seed, in Matthew 13, 20, Matthew 13, 20, when he said, this is he, he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word and in none with joy receiveth it, yet he hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while, or endureth for a while, for when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. See, these words, he heareth the word, and Anon with joy. That's the key to understanding this second, this second group of people, and this scribe in particular, because he gets so excited, he's sitting there, oh, this is so divine, this is so wonderfully divine, what he's saying, what he's doing, and he makes, these, he makes this promise 
in a sudden outburst of this shallow commitment that is not going to stand. It's not going to stand against the flood of trials. So there was another time when the Lord withdrew, and that was in John 6.15, John 6.15, when there was a great crowd in John 6.15, and he says, when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force and make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. This shows how the Lord moves away. He leaves, he departs away from these commitments that are under the heat of this shallow, really emotional, this is an emotional excitement here. It's a scene of great emotional excitement. You know, everybody is like, oh, the teaching was divine on the Sermon on the Mount, it was spectacular. The healing that night was fantastic. Everybody was saying, wow, this is great. Oh boy, this is tremendous. Everybody ready for worship? Put your hands together because we are ready to worship. We are pumped up, fired up, we're charged up, we're stoked, we're juiced, and we're ready. And just at the height of all that hype, everyone looks around and says, where's Jesus? <laughs> and he said, he left. He left. He, he, he says he says, when the meeting started to rock, he left, and he gave commandment in verse 18 to go and, and, and leave. And that's what 18, verse 18 is all about. It's the Lord wants nothing to do with these outbursts of excitement that re, just result in this empty, shallow, for the moment, commitments to follow him w- without a real deep personal dedication. And so that's why he leaves. Now, uh, it wasn't like he said, okay, why don't we go? It was like he gave commandment to leave. He said, we are leaving. Now, all this emotional excitement becomes clear to us by the response, as I said, of the scribe in verse 19, when a certain scribe comes and said, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. He seems to be a disciple of the Lord. He's a disciple already, but in the heat of this excitement, as I say, he makes this declaration, Master, I will follow thee. Now, it sounds good. You know, I will follow thee with us wherever they go. Sounds good, and we expect the Lord to say, good, welcome to the group. Let me introduce you to their fellow disciples over here. Here's Peter, here's John. You'll be working closely with them. That's what we would have expected. But the Lord doesn't say anything like that. There's no welcome here. There's no words of encouragement for this scribe. He's just vowed he's gonna follow the Lord. The greeting was more like a kind of a pushback from the Lord after he's made this public confession of his allegiance. And, he, and the Lord says, well, let me tell you something. F- look at the foxes, they have holes. Look at the birds, they have nests. And now look at me, I don't have either hole or I have nowhere to lay my head, he says. So and then he, as he explains this to the person, he says, he says, he actually refers to himself, the Lord refers to himself, he didn't say I, have nowhere to lay my head. He said, the son of man. He says, the son of man. Now, first off, that's kind of a different. He calls himself the son of man, the son of man. He says, the son of man hath not where to lay his head. And this is actually the first time that he's used this title for himself, the son of man, in the book of Matthew. And it won't be the last time. It won't be the last time. The Lord called himself by this title more than any other title. This was his favorite title for himself. He said, he, 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 in essence, he's saying, color me son of man. I'm the son of man. You wanna know who I am? I'm the son of, he loved this title of himself. And it's for one reason, 
because of all the many names of the Lord, and there are many, and I think in the Friendship with God Bible, I don't know, I think we have, I can't remember, is 150 or 300 names, something like that. A lot of names for the Lord, but this is the title that is his favorite because of all the names of the Lord. This title uniquely emphasizes that the Lord Jesus was 100% man. That was very important to the Lord. He wanted to be recognized when he was here on earth as 100% human. Now, that's very relevant today because there's a problem with some false doctrines that do not accept that the Lord Jesus was 100% man. And that's a problem because it says in 2 John 1, 7, 2 John 1, 7, many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. If you were to restate 2 John 1, 7, that verse, 2 John 1, 7, you'd say that there's many deceivers in the world today who deny that Jesus was that Jesus Christ was 100% man. And a person who teaches that he's not 100% man is a deceiver and an antichrist. Not the antichrist, but an antichrist, doing the work of antichrist. For example, there's a false doctrine that has to do with how the Lord died. How the Lord died. This doctrine says that the Lord Jesus didn't really die like a normal human would die. This doctrine says that he didn't actually die on the cross, he dismissed his spirit on the cross, which is not how people normally die. So this doctrine is denying that Jesus Christ is 100% man or that he's come in the flesh. And this is wrong. And I didn't even know about this doctrine. I didn't even know about it, except that one of the radio stations in the US expelled me from their station when I was teaching in Psalm 22, and I taught that the Lord showed all the signs of dying of dehydration, and in fact, he died of dehydration. And because I said that, the owner of the station said that, no, the Lord did not die like normal people, he just dismissed his spirit, and then he dismissed my broadcast from the radio station as well. So it's very important for the Lord to use this title for himself, which he does, of the Son of Man, because it's emphasizing that he was in all points like we are, in all points except without sin. Just he was like 100% man, and that makes him a very special high priest to us. Very special high priest because it says in Hebrews 4.15, Hebrews 4.15, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So it's amazing when you think about that, that there's a man in heaven today. There's a man in heaven today who's at the right hand of God. That man is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wants everybody to know that he's 100% man. And this was his great aim behind using this title, the Son of Man, so everybody could see that. I mean, there's two phrases you could use. You could say the Son of Man, or you could say the Son of Adam. And there's a great difference between them. Because to call a person the Son of Adam is like saying someone is the son of uh, Bernie Madoff. Okay, <laughs> he's the son of Bernie Madoff. There's actually a family in Germany with Hitler and they're related to Hitler. Okay, he's a relative of Hitler. He's a relative of Bernie Madoff. Bernie Madoff, who cheated people out of millions of their hard-earned work for and saved dollars. 
So to call somebody the son of Bernie Madoff is shameful. I mean, and that's what it means to call someone the son of Adam because the Lord is sinless. He is never, ever in the Bible called the son of Adam. But since the Lord became a man to save us from our sins, the Lord is called the son of man. Now, this is the first time, as I mentioned here, in the New Testament that the son of man is used, but it's not the first time in the Bible. It's not the first time in the Old Testament that, in fact, it's used, the son of man is used in Daniel 7.13. Daniel 7.13, which Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the son of man. Now, notice what he says about him. Came with clouds of heaven. Sound familiar? When the Lord said, here, if you see the son of man coming in the clouds when he was at his trial, the Sanhedrin. Okay, one like the son of man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. So that's when the title, the son of man is used in the Old Testament. That's the only place in the Old Testament where the term son of man is used. That's it, just there, Daniel 7, 13. Now, I know if you use your Bible search tools that you're gonna see that the term son of man appears in the Old Testament 175 times. But all those times, except for that one in Daniel 7, 13, it's not saying the son of man, it's saying the son of Adam. And there's, as I mentioned, there's a big difference between saying son of man and son of, the son of Adam. Unfortunately, they all translated in English as the son of man. If they would have asked me, I would have told them no, but would they never ask. So the Lord uses this title, son of man, and immediately when people hear that son of man, because they don't have English Bibles, they have Hebrew Bibles, they know the only place that is used is Daniel 7.13, and that triggers them to say, oh, Daniel 7.13. That's why when his trial at the Sanhedrin, when he said, you'll see the son of man coming in the clouds, they said, oh, we don't need anything more for accusing. He just made himself God. He's God. They understood that he was calling himself God by calling himself the son of man. Because the scene in Daniel is of him being brought before, coming with the clouds in heaven, and then being brought before the Ancient of Days. He's coming to the God the Father, and he's giving a report. Because the Lord Jesus, in his lifetime here on earth, he was consumed with the knowledge that he was sent. He was sent to earth. That's what Messiah means, anointed, sent. Sent, he was sent. And he spoke so often of himself as being sent by God the Father. He was the one sent. And the Messiah is the sent one. And as the Messiah, he's always speaking of his being sent. He speaks, uh, he spoke of how if a person received him, that actually they received his sender in Matthew 10, 40. Matthew 10, 40, he that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. He spoke of his sender sending him to do his works on earth. In Luke 4.18, Luke 4.18, he's quoting from Isaiah. He says, the spirit of the Lord is, is upon me because he hath anointed me, messiahed me, anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. So he spoke of himself as being sent to do all these works. He, there was his works, he, he had a list there. I gotta heal the brokenhearted, I gotta preach deliverance to the captives, I gotta recover sight to the blind, I gotta set at liberty those that are bruised. He, this was his, his mission. He spoke of how if a person despised him, 
and he was despised and rejected of men, if a person despised him, that they were actually despising the sender. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.